Hey man, it's me, Kevin Smith. Are you listening to the right podcast? Because you're supposed to be listening to Three Guys in a Flick. Are you listening to that right now? Then you're in the right place. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Only the most broken people can be great leaders. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from the underwater kingdom of Telecon, my name is Don, and to my right we have our comic book guy, John. Is anybody getting good reception down here? Uh, you know, I don't even know where my fucking phone is. Speaking of which, how did we get here? Google Maps. Okay, that makes sense. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. Hello, everybody. I sure hope that we find our way out of here because all of our phones have since short-circuited from the water. Yeah, well, it was John's idea to come down here. And you listened to me. Well, I guess there is that, I suppose. Released on November 11th, 2022, Black Panther Wakanda Forever was directed by Ryan Coogler, based on the comic book by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Screenplay by Ryan Coogler and Joe Robert Cole. And it stars Letitia Wright, Lapita Nuango, Danny Guerrera, Winston Duke, Dominique Thorne, Tanush Huerta, Martin Freeman, Julia Louise Dreyfus, Angela Bassett, and a bunch of other actors. How'd this movie do so far, Don? Well, so far, the opening weekend uh, brought in $181 million domestically. So uh, worldwide, it's sitting at uh, $331 million. Which isn't bad for a movie that's budget was $250 million. No, not bad at all. All right, gentlemen. So let's talk about all-time movie weekends. I think we all know which one is the number one all-time movie weekend highest earner. Are you talking about Marvel movies? No. Or overall? Overall. Oh, okay. So I'm going to give you five movies in the years that they were released, and I want you to see if you can put them into what order you think that they would be, one, two, three, four, five. And I'm just listing them in the year that they came out. Right. 2015, Star Wars The Force Awakens. 2017, The Last Jedi. 2018, Infinity War. 2019, Endgame. 2021, Spider-Man, No Way Home. What do you think is the number one and two, three, four, five? What do you think? Uh, number one, I'm going to say is Endgame. That's what I'm going with as well. Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm thinking, John, number two is Spider-Way, no, Spider-Man. That's what I wrote down, No Way Home. Number two, $260 million is Spider-Man, No Way Home. Endgame was 357 and number three, I'm going to go with Infinity War. What do you think, John? Or do you want to talk to me? Let's uh, talk it out. Gosh, I don't know if a Star Wars is going to make it in there, but I'm going to go with Infinity. I, I think Marvel... Yeah. Well, hold on. Force Awakens. Did Force Awakens... Did Infinity War do better than Force Awakens? I think that's the... I th- okay, so Last Jedi is five. Can we all agree on that? Yeah. No, wait. We can't. 
Ah, fuck me, right in the ear hole. All right, let's go with it. Infinity War number three. Infinity War. The third all-time is Infinity War at $257 million. Yeah. All right, all right, here we go, boss. I think it's Force Awakens and Force then Last Awakens, Dragon. Force Awakens, That's what we're going to end with. Number four, Force Awakens, 247 to the 257. And number five is The Last Jedi at 220. That was fucking fun. Good job, buddy. Yeah. yeah I'm not just go. agreeing with everything you say. No, I know. Because I, I had written it down. Okay, look, fucker. I, I, I acknowledge that. So good. That's why I said good job. So interestingly enough, the eighth highest grossing movie, which is um, Black Panther, they had $202 million, And that's number five on the Marvel scale. At number 13, Wakanda Forever at $181 million for the all-time gross for opening weekend. The interesting thing that I found about this is that all of these movies, they have somewhere between 40, 30 to 40% of the box office totals. Wakanda Forever had 87% of all of the box office totals. Wakanda Forever, 87%. Yeah, well, people wanted to see it. So... I dug a little deeper and I looked at Endgame and there was about a hundred movies that were released on the weekend of Endgame. Whereas for Wakanda Forever, it's only about 50 movies. But what I'm also taking out of this is it has to do with, I think, what happened because of Black Panther. Black Panther being such the good movie that it is, it drove people back in to see that continuation story arc. And I want to get into that a little bit later. I think also people want to know how a movie can can even exist or hit come out losing its big star. So I think I for me, a lot of it was also curiosity of how are they gonna move on? How are they gonna go on? All right, let's <clears throat> let's let's be really real. All right. If you're a fan of Marvel, you already got your ticket. Mm-hmm. Right? And there are so many of them. What Marvel is uh, counting on is not those people. It's the people that want to go see a movie, but they're not sure what they want to see, right? When Endgame was coming, right, it it sold itself out for days. You know what I mean? And not just Marvel fans, but everyone. Everyone wanted to see how it had ended because we took this journey. The Black Panther is the same thing. It's just it's a different kind of journey, right? Of course those numbers are going to be up there because it's a Marvel movie and it's the sequel to one of the most successful Marvel movies, right? Number five, Professor? Mm-hmm. So I think that this opening weekend at 18th of all time? 13. 13? <laughs> That's even better. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's still impressive. Still impressive. Here, here's another fun fact. Top 14 of all time, nine, nine of, of them, them <laughs> belong to Marvel for opening weekend. So exactly to your point of what you're saying. Yeah. How many of them belong to DC? I'm going to guess none, bud. The ones that are not a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Incredibles 2 at number 12. The Lion King at number 9. Jurassic World at number 6. 5 and 4. Star Wars. All of them but two are Disney. Mm-hmm. There you go. One thing I wanted to bring up, we were talking a little bit earlier about the difficulty of making this movie and how do you move on. Uh, I thought it was interesting re- reading about uh, Ryan Coogler and the fact that he, you know, when... The first Black Panther movie came out. He pretty much had the screenplay and the script written for the second movie before he found out about Chadwick's illness. So it was already ready to go. And then, like you've been saying over and over again, Don, kick to the balls. Unfortunately, we lost Chadwick. You know, rest in peace. Uh, 
Brian did not want to make the second movie. He did not want to go on. He he was out. He was you know completely done. And then he decided to come back in. I don't know exactly how they talked him into it, but to kind of honor Chadwick. Well, that's probably how they put it to him. Yeah. Or or he or he it just. He needed that time to step away from the project, yeah. but I'm sure uh, in his heart he was always going to come back and do it for Chadwick. Yeah, you know, but it, I mean, it's hard. Well, you a lot I mean? him and a lot of the actors said making this movie went a long way to healing. Yeah, oh, I can see it. I mm-hmm. can for sure, absolutely, mm-hmm. it, and it does show on screen. When we walked out, uh, I said I was crying the whole fucking time. You guys were like, oh, maybe once or twice. So. I, I think this movie is half tribute to Chadwick, half Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, a lot of the actors too also said the grief you see in the movie is their real grief, is their real feelings. And the other thing I was thinking about is this movie was made a long time back. It was originally supposed to come out before Thor: Love and Thunder, so they were dealing with those raw emotions pretty early on you know we've had a little more time to kind of let it all sink in they got right back to making the next movie so an interesting point regarding casting of this movie what did you guys think of our namor tenoch huerta tenoch huerta Uh, i thought he did fine i'm glad we didn't get the version we get in the comic book Hmm. um meaning the way he looked he he looked if I'm remembering Namor right, I mean, he looked like uh, an elf in the water. Well, the it, being the comic book guy, I'm almost reversed. You know, I always want to see more of the comic book put into the movies. And really, uh, what is Namor spelled backwards? Ramrod? It's no. Roman, oh. which is he was meant to kind of look like a Roman soldier. One of his... Uh, chants his battle cries that he says in the movie is imperious rex which is translates in atlantean to emperor king he's basically based off of a of a roman character and i like how they kind of gave him you know went towards that aztec look and that aztec feel for this character and while i thought the actor tenoch did a great job acting i don't know if he really did a great job in this role in my opinion in that he's supposed to be playing a character who's supposed to be 400 500 years old but really in my impression he kind of came off a little bit juvenile in this role he kind of felt young made rash decisions that you think a guy who's been around that long and has seen as much as he had would have a little more patience a little more calm a little more reserve you know yes doing the things he's doing but not coming off with that kind of younger feel vibe to him one of the interesting thought things that i read about this guy uh the uh ryan coogler asked him during his interview for this role uh do you know how to swim do you know what his response was i'm gonna guess i'm gonna go ahead and say no because it's a story no he did not say no he said well i haven't drowned he did not know how to swim ryan coogler did not know that when he got the role he actually went out and took swimming lessons uh, I thought he did a fine job. I liked the way he was portrayed. Uh, I wasn't a huge fan of the wings on his feet, but, you know, after five, ten minutes of it, you don't even notice it anymore. As far as villains go in the MCU, um, not your strongest villain? Because I get it in the comic books, and I know you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but Namor is more of an anti-hero slash villain. I was going to say, he's he's not... 
a villain. He's an antagonist. Ryan Coogler said in an interview, he did not want Namor to come off as a villain. He is a hero to his people. In fact, the character is supposed to feel like he is the hero of his own story. So he is going out. Everything he's doing is to protect his people. And we were supposed to, the as an audience, we're supposed to kind of feel divided in that is he doing right or is he doing wrong? Sure. And and this movie does a really good job of that. And I guess what I was kind of expecting going into this movie, uh, knowing the little that I do about the comic books, is that Namor isn't necessarily a villain, right? So I thought it was going to be more like your Batman versus Superman scenario where you had Wakanda and Telecon fight and then, oh no, another evil is going to come up and they have to team together and, and face that. But this movie didn't do that. And I think that for me, it leaves it lacking for me. So one of the things with Namor and what I, you know, I was really hoping to get the vibe for in this movie is in the comic books, he's not a hero. He's not a villain. He's just a dick. Doesn't he try to woo Sue Storm every once in a while? That's the big thing. So I'm sorry, Sue, is it? Yeah, Sue Storm. Storm. Yeah, yeah. he basically always, every time they have an interaction with the Fantastic Four in the comic books, he's trying to steal her away. He's madly in love with her. <laughs> you sly fish, Namor. Yeah, so I'm wondering when we finally do get Fantastic Four, probably not in the first movie, but we could see Namor returning for that. Uh, let me ask you this real quick before we move on. Uh, are you guys wanting to see more Namor? I would like to yeah. see him tie somehow. Now that we've introduced this whole underwater kingdom, don't just give it to us and then throw it away. I want to see it somehow work in maybe in a future Avengers movie. Maybe, you know, when we get another scene with portals appearing everywhere, uh, maybe his kingdom comes and helps and fights. All right. All right. Well, And he has a relatively uh, extensive touch point to several different Marvel story arcs. So he's sprinkled throughout a lot of different Marvel story arcs that I think would be a disservice to not include him in the future. We were actually supposed to get a preview of him in the Doctor Strange movie. He is a founding member in the comic books of the Illuminati. That's what I heard, yeah. And he was supposed to be in there, but then they decided to just keep him out because they always knew that they wanted him for the Black Panther movie. Which is smart. So you also have Letitia Wright reprising her role. You also have the original cast coming back. Um, outside of them, uh, we got to see uh, Riri Williams. Dominique Ironheart. Thorne. Yeah, what'd you guys think of her? Uh, you know, it's funny. I guess I was reading that she originally, for the first Black Panther movie, she tried out for Shuri and didn't get the role, but they brought her back for Riri. I thought she was fun. I yeah. thought she was good. Yeah, I, I thought she was, she was a spunky character. As as the scenes were going on, I kept thinking, well, I bet you her and Ms. Marvel's TV show is going to be really fun and cute. That's yeah. what I kept thinking. Well, I was wondering, you know, especially since, Don, you don't really focus in on a lot of comic books. What did you think about her kind of being, I mean, it, this is what she is in the comic books. She is the new Iron Man. Uh, I'm fine with it. You're fine with her kind of, because the way the story works in the comic books, uh, Tony Stark dies. Uh, she decides to reverse engineer his suit of armor and builds her own armor, which she calls Ironheart. And Tony Stark, which she doesn't know, had been spying on her all this time. And he downloads his consciousness into an AI that serves as her Friday in her suit. And so what I think that Marvel is doing is, in this instance, 
you have your core team of the Avengers, right? We remember them very fondly. We remember what Tony Stark did for the MCU. Uh, Ironheart gives us that character with the the superhero part mm-hmm. of it uh, with a new with a new heart, and and that's fine. They can keep it going, and I thought she did. I thought she did fine. Mm-hmm. Julia Louise Dreyfus pops up and i guess this is an instance that if you didn't watch the oh no that's not true she was at the end of black widow correct she was at the end of black Widow. okay yeah uh but she's also in the uh marvel tv shows yeah she's been in two or three of the shows now because i know she was in uh falcon and the soldier she was in hawkeye hawkeye yep and black widow so in 30 seconds or last comic book guy who the fuck is she and why do I care? She's never been, I think, as far as I understand, a really huge comic book character. Uh, but why you should care about her is we know that the Thunderbolts is coming out. And we know that what they are is kind of like the evil Avengers. They're basically bad guys recruited to do supposedly good things but are really controlled by the government, all that kind of stuff. Well, she's the one that's going to put that team together. And that's what she's been doing throughout these movies is putting that team together. All right, I'm going to stop you right there. So all you have to say next time is she's Amanda Waller and she's going to take on the Suicide Squad. Exactly. Cool. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate that. Other than that, you have your returning actors. And again, I think they all did a a great job. And I think you guys all concur with that. Uh, But the one that I think stands out the most and has the most to do, you would think would be Shuri. But it truly is uh, Angela Bassett. And I thought she was absolutely phenomenal in this role. Some of the articles I have read about her, like just talking about her in this movie, is they are saying it's going to be a shame if she does not get an Oscar nomination for her acting in this movie. Yeah, well, I guess time will tell on that one. Mm What did you think? She was great. I loved her. So can I jump back just a little bit? We've talked a little bit about uh, Thunderbolts, and we also talked about the Fantastic Four, and I wanted to, to to talk a little bit about Phase Four, Phase Five. So, Wakanda Forever is the end of Phase Four, and Phase Five begins with Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania, and there's a couple other movies that follow after that. After that, so uh, well, we have Ant Man coming out next February, and then in May, then you get Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, and then in July you get the Marvels. And these three movies are part of Phase 5. The second half of Phase 5 happens in 2024 when we get Captain America next, or New World Order. That's in May. And then you get the Thunderbolts in July of 2024. And then in September of 2024, you get Blade. And then after that, which is outside of the phases, you have three more movies waiting in the wings. You have the Fantastic Four. And you have... And that's in 2025. And then you have Avengers, the Kang Dynasty in 2025. And then only announced in 2026 is Avengers Secret War. Anyway, I just I just thought that it would be nice to have a, a touch point for those listeners that aren't necessarily complete Marvel geeks, such as us, to hear a little bit about this stuff. That's all. Are you a fan of South Park at all? Oh, yeah. Did you ever see the episode where Cartman just can't wait for like this game machine to come out? So he goes and buries himself in the snow and freezes himself and does a whole Buck Rogers episode. Uh, it sounds familiar, but I couldn't quote it for you. I just feel like, you know, the 
waiting for these next Marvel movies comes out always is just a killer for me. I'm so excited for the next one to come out. Like, I'm really looking forward to Ant-Man coming out next. I am too. Uh, I'm excited to see where they're going. I dare say, and it might sound like I'm contradicting myself, but I dare say that I might have a little bit of Marvel fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what gives me the fatigue is phase four. Phase four didn't shock me. Phase four didn't rock me. Because Fa- what, where were they going? Exactly. And what did uh, phase four not have that the previous phases did have? And what was that, Don? Don't say it like that. I'm going to kick you in the balls. <laughs> they didn't have an Avengers movie, right? And they didn't have something for us to look up to. And I get that we're, they're planting the seeds in what's this version called? The multi- so, the multiverse saga yeah so multiversal wars yeah so they're they're gonna they're they're leading us there i get it but there were some of those films that just kind of felt unnecessary t'challa king of wakanda is suffering from an illness which his sister shuri believes can be cured by the heart-shaped herb shuri attempts to synthetically recreate the herb after it was destroyed by killmonger but fails to do before he succumbs one year later Wakanda is under pressure from other nations to share their vibranium with some parties attempting to steal it by force. Queen Ramonda implores Shuri to continue her research on the heart-shaped herb, hoping to create a new Black Panther that will defend Wakanda, but she refuses due to her belief that the Black Panther is a figure of the past. In the Atlantic Ocean, the CIA and U.S. Navy SEALs utilize a vibranium detecting machine to locate a potential vibranium deposit underwater. The expedition is attacked and killed by a group of blue-skinned, water-breathing superhumans led by Namor. With the CIA believing Wakanda to be responsible, Namor confronts Ramunda and Shuri, easily bypassing Wakanda's advanced security. Blaming Wakanda for the vibranium race, he gives them an ultimatum. Deliver the scientist responsible for the vibranium detecting machine, or he will attack Wakanda. So this opening, you know, it didn't click with me at first, but they kind of give us this whole idea that you know T'Challa is dying of a disease or something that nobody knew about that he kind of sprung on them you know, late term, and now they don't have enough time to save him, that they're trying to save him. And what I thought was interesting about this is uh, Ryan Coogler brought up the fact of that was the same way with Chadwick. Nobody knew when they were making Black Panther that he was as sick as he was. And it was only until after the movie thing and close to the time when he died that people started finding out about his illness. So they kind of worked Chadwick's real life into the movie how did you think that came across on a human level i mean art imitates life so it probably felt natural for them to write that uh from a comic book perspective in the mcu so when you become the black panther you drink the heart-shaped herb you're supposed to heal and you have superpowers how is cancer beating the herb I, don't, I got the impression at least when she was trying to synthetically create the new herb that he didn't, and this is something we're going to address later on in the movie, he doesn't automatically heal right away. He needs more infusions of the heart-shaped herb to heal bad wounds, to heal sicknesses, to heal things that they just they can't do with their own modern medication. So I assume that whatever this illness was, he needed to ingest more heart-shaped herb. Uh, the theory was, at least by Shuri, that it might help cure him. Uh, I thought after you drank it, that's how they established it in the first film. So well, he doesn't have it, all... it took me it took it 
Took me out of it. He doesn't have a Wolverine healing power. Are you sure? Because after he gets the shit kicked out of him from Killmonger and they give it to him and they bury him in the snow, he comes out pretty fucking clean. Yeah, but when they bury him in the snow, they give him the heart-shaped herb that boosts his healing for that time. Just for that time. I guess so. Sure, he can't save him. And we get the ceremony. Uh, pretty emotional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what would you guys think of that? I, I can't say that I think anybody in the theater did not shed tears during this ceremony, especially when Shuri breaks down. I didn't have necessarily really strong feelings watching it because to me, I had already said my goodbyes. And so watching it, I, I just felt like that I was watching a continuation of the story and I get it that it was his funeral and all, but I didn't necessarily you know, have tears rolling down my cheeks. One interesting thing I thought, and I think it really kind of broke me up a little bit, was the scene where we get to see the painting of him, the mural of him, and in front of him, you have the two drummers who are drumming to a beat. And the beat that they're playing is what I talked about in the previous podcast, that there were instruments selected for certain characters to represent them. And in for uh, T'Challa, his instrument was the talking drums. So the fact that they had just two drummers drumming in front of a mural, which in Wakandan said... The king lives and the panther forever in us rests with ancestors. So the fact that they did that, I thought was a great send off, was a great tribute to him. Then after the ceremony, we get the Marvel logo, which is all Chadwick. And I think for me, that was the hardest bit. The fact that they did it in complete silence. No big Marvel music, no big, you know, lead in kind of thing. Very interesting. It was brilliant. It was powerful. It was powerful. Absolutely. And then we open up, and it's a year later. When the movie started, did we get the impression, because I read this somewhere, that this movie was supposed to take place six or seven years after the last movie? Did you get that impression? Uh, Well, it's definitely after the blip, and that's five years. So, I guess that does make sense. Well, I don't know. It said one year later. And you just didn't read it because you had tears in your eyes still. Well, let me ask you this, too, this question, especially with... Uh, the queen addressing the UN and all that, and there's this big attack on an outreach center and everything. Does this make T'Challa wrong in the last movie when he basically, you know, he said, you know, came out in the end credits of the Black Panther movie, the idea of opening up Wakanda to the world so that they can help the world, so they can help the people, and so you know they can be more open and honest with the world. But yet it seems like they almost set up in this movie that the outreach centers are being attacked, that people are now coming after Wakanda because they want the vibranium stores and that without a Black Panther, they're more vulnerable. That that doesn't make him wrong. But does he put his country more in danger when his role was really to protect his country? At the moment when he did it, he was Black Panther and he would have been uh, protecting those sites. So no, it doesn't. Not at all. The fact that he died is inconvenient. Mm-hmm. And we, every, if you had any shed of common sense, you would know that if vibranium gets released into the world in any capacity, somebody's coming after it. That's just fucking common knowledge. Hence, the Black Panther. No, it does not make him wrong at all. Okay. Any opinion, Ken? No, I, I thought that, you know, with them opening up, it, it's going to bring in, as it was pointed out in black panther more problems and with those problems then you need to 
you're just going to have to deal with that. Yeah, and at the time, he was ready to deal with it. That's what I think, too. So, well, and I kind of side with you that, yes, he did the right thing, but then I also think that if he had not opened up Wakanda and revealed all this information, Namor would never have had an issue because that vibranium machine would never have been made because as far as the world knew, there was no more vibranium in the world. So the queen would still be alive, things like that. All of this violence, all those people who died during the attack by the Talokan would still be alive. So really, you know, his actions, whether intentional or not, whether he obviously didn't know he was going to die uh, and leave the country without a uh, Black Panther, did kind of open it up to all of this damage that happened in this movie. Well, you got to put your big boy pants on and make decisions and stand by those decisions and to the and to your convictions to the best of your ability. And so he, I think that he went in with both eyes open, and that's just the way it is. And and he did not shy away from that. And I don't think that he should be blamed for that. You did that. That's just armchair quarterbacking it. Yeah. Okay. So the queen goes to the uh, UN, and she is telling them that. Um, you know, we, we said that we were going to share the vibranium and, and what do we get in return? We get people trying to steal the vibranium, this, that, and the other. And then we cut to, was it, oh, they're digging for vibranium in the middle of the ocean, you know, cause at some point we have to be introduced to the ocean. Namor's in this motherfucker. Uh, what did you guys think of the introduction of the blue skin fish people? I dug it. I, I thought that it was uh, really cool to have their little siren song that they got people to, in, you know, enchant in, in, in them to just walk off the ship into the water. I thought that was a nice little touch. Yeah. At first, I kind of was like, oh, well, that's convenient. They now say that they have siren powers. Then I thought, oh, what they're really trying to say is these people are mixed in with, like, lore of the sea. So when people... You know, heard sirens maybe back, you know, 500 years. It was really these people doing it. I got to be honest with you. Anything that happens in the water in this film, I feel like I've seen it already in Aquaman three years ago. So I felt like these kind of scenes kind of dragged on for me a little bit. That's just me. The boat attack, though, was was fairly quick. A good set, set of action. Yeah, for a Marvel film, this doesn't have a lot of action. No, it doesn't. There's only a couple. Just a couple scenes. Yeah, so a very different Marvel movie, as you were saying earlier, Professor. So after the UN, uh, we go back to Wakanda, and it's kind of life moving on. You have Okoye there and Shuri. She's still in her lab and uh, working with the technology. And Well, at some point around here, don't we get, uh, is it Anderson Cooper comes on and gives a new story about the attack? Yeah, and they blame Wakanda. Did you catch one of another Easter egg? That was scrolling at the bottom of the um, the while Anderson Cooper was talking. Ant Man's book. Yeah, they mentioned Ant Ant Man has written a book about his experiences with the Avengers, which ties into the next Avenger or next uh, Ant Man movie. Yeah, and so um, we we come to find out that Shuri's having a hard time letting go of T'Challa. Uh, the Queen thinks it's about time that they burn his death robe, or the robe he was buried in, whatever. And so they go out on a camping trip. Um, well, what it, what it really is is they are burning their own mourning clothes, the clothes that they wore to his. Oh, they're funeral. not burning his. No, they're burning their own. This is black. Yeah, it's very similar oh. to a <laughs> Jewish tradition of uh, 
the Jew, the Jews have a unveiling that we do, uh, that one year after someone has passed, you unveil their stone and the writing on their stone as a, basically as a point to say the morning time is over. It's time to move on with your life. This is what they would want. So in Wakandan tradition is one year after someone has passed, you burn the clothes, which for them, instead of wearing black for mourning, they wear white to celebrate somebody's life. Uh, they are burning the clothes that they wore to, to his funeral. Or they're trying, mm. uh, but Shuri doesn't want to do it yet. She's not ready to let go. I and like her line of, if I burn my clothes, I'm going to burn the world. Yeah. To show her anger. Yeah. And then in the meantime, uh, Namor slips by Wakandan security and shows up and tells uh, the queen that they have a common enemy and that uh, the outside world is looking for vibranium. And it turns out that the queen didn't even know that there was vibranium outside of Wakanda. And now we know that it's in the bedrock of the ocean and Namor and his people have been keeping it safe. An interesting point to this is they kind of hint, okay, well, there was originally one meteor that hit in Wakanda. Well, now there was a second meteor that obviously hit somewhere in the ocean where Namor's people settled. Does that open up the floodgates of there could have been more out there? Oh, sure. Why wouldn't it? So I'm thinking that maybe, again, this is just my own personal theory. We're going to revisit this again. When we, re- when we get introduced to Dr. Doom. And so Neymar comes out and he's talking to the queen and he tells her, you know, uh, the outside world has this machine. It can detect the vibranium and we know who made it. And you need to go kill the scientist or deliver him back to me um, so I can deal with him. But if you don't do this, uh, Wakanda will fall. Either you're you're with me or you are against me. Right, 100%. He also blames uh, T'Challa for causing all of this, and that's why Wakanda will help him, because Wakanda's the one that put his kingdom in danger. Sure, and it's easy to place blame on someone who's dead. Mm-hmm. So, good job, Namor. You're right. He is kind of a dick. He's a dick. Shuri and Okoye learn from CIA agent Everett K. Ross that the scientist in question is MIT student Riri Williams and arrive at the university to confront her. The group is pursued by the FBI and then by Namor's warriors, who defeat Okoye before taking Shuri and Williams underwater to meet Namor. Angered by Okoye's failure to protect Shuri, Ramonda strips her of her title as general of the Dora Milaje and seeks out Nakia, who has been living in Haiti since the blip. Namor shows Shuri his vibranium-rich underwater kingdom of Talcon, which he has protected for centuries from discovery by the world. Bitter at the surface world for enslaving the Maya, Namor proposes an alliance with Wakanda against the rest of the world, but threatens to destroy Wakanda first if they refuse. Nakia helps Shuri and Williams escape, and Namor retaliates with an attack against Wakanda, during which Ramonda drowns, saving Williams. Namor vows to return in a week with his full army, and the citizens of Wakanda relocate to the Jabrari Mountains for their safety. So the queen and, you know, the council, whatever, they decide that Shuri and Okoye will go to MIT and find Riri Williams. What did you think of our introduction to Riri? Um, I, I thought she was fine. She was likable. She's fun. She does kind of strike me as more of a TV character mm-hmm. uh, because I've watched the Ms. Marvel show. 
But, I mean, I'll buy her with what she's in. I really enjoyed uh, how Okoye and Shuri banter back and forth with each other about Shuri. She wants to have time to go in there and get her out on her own. And then once once Okoye shows up, then it is, you know, business immediately. I, I, I just loved the back and forth between the two of them. Yeah, they did, they did really well together. And naturally, the Fed show up and they have to make an escape. This is where we get the second action piece so far. And we're probably like an hour into this flick already. Well, this mm-hmm. is our big car chase scene, just like we had in the, in the first movie. I totally dug the bit when you had Okoye take her spear and jam it through the bottom of the car to turn the car around. Yeah. That was awesome. And then and then the car flip that happens after that, that was a spectacular looking flip. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, they're starting to, they, oh, uh, Ross shows up. Is Ross there? No, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. No, he doesn't show up until the next day when they're investigating what happened. Right, but they went to Ross first. Yeah, they called him to find out Riri's information. Right, that's right. Uh, but the interesting thing, and this after they kind of lose the FBI, CIA, whatever, uh, that bridge scene where they kind of meet up with uh, Namor, Namor, uh, Namor's cousin, who is they don't really mention her much. They kind of call her by name a couple times. Her name is Namora, or Namorita in the comic books, and Atuma, uh, the main generals of Namor's army. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of that scene of basically a Tuma versus Okoye? Uh, I was digging it. Uh, the way that Tuma uh, per, uh, represented himself, uh, just as much as a warrior and uh, a a force to be reckoned with as Okoye. And so I thought it was going to be a good good battle. Even though Atua is that Atuma, even though Atuma seemed to get the uh, upper hand. Uh, you know, I, th- I thought it was good. I enjoyed it. I thought it's interesting that he's obviously a skilled warrior just like her. He seemed honorable because it wasn't there one point that they dropped their weapons and he kind of allowed her to pick up her weapon again. I think so. Uh, but he does have the advantage in that being from that undersea kingdom, he's got the super strength, the super agility, all that kind of stuff. So he kind of one up her in that. And that's why later on in the movie, she needs the suit to kind of put her on equal grounds with him. Yeah. Well, I knew this wasn't going to be the last time they faced each other. Mm-hmm. Right. So they were just kind of building it up. So Shuri and Riri get taken by the Namorians and Namor takes Shuri to, or takes both of them. They take them to the underwater city. It's nice that it does show that, you know, you want to call Namor the villain of the movie, but he could have killed Riri right then and there. Instead, he allows her to exist while he's basically showing Shuri kind of the tour of the town. You know why? I'll tell you why. Why? Because he wants Shuri. He's woo, he's trying to woo Shuri. And That's what I, I thought too. And I don't think that would have come across awesome if Riri was dead. Yeah. So. Because... It, it, it was on her insistence that she go, mm-hmm, right? right? And so to appease Namor, you know, that's that's what she gave as the, the ultimatum. And so that's why Namor, in turn, I totally agree with that. Right. It, so inadvertently, Shuri was playing the political game very well. I kind of felt mm-hmm. like she called a parlay. Uh, what's a parlay? From uh, Captain Jack Sparrow. Pirates of the Caribbean. 
That doesn't answer my question. What it, is a parlay? It's basically when the pirates are about to kill somebody, you can call a parlay, and that takes you to meet the the captain of the ship, and they can't kill you. Oh yeah, she totally she, she totally called a parlay then because yeah. that was smart. You know, yeah. she take me uh, take me to Neymar. Again, when they went underwater and they were kind of doing their whole thing, it it felt a bit long to me. That's what I thought too. And it felt a little bit. I mean, I understand Aquamanny, and I and I get it. It's Namor. He's in the ocean. Well, but they, Aquaman did it first. They were trying. At least you know Ryan Coogler was trying to get us to see that Namor's kingdom is just like Wakanda, and Namor is just trying to do right by his people. Oh, I got that right and, away. And he, that, yeah. he, he he does a great job at it. I'm just saying it's a bit long. Yeah, I mean, that was the whole point of showing us this kingdom. Um, the scene that comes up kind of during this time, or maybe comes up next, that really kind of bothered me. When the queen fires Okoye, I understand that she was angry, that she just lost, you know, she lost her husband, she lost her son, she just lost, you know, possibly her daughter. But for her service, that she had served this kingdom for so long, served Wakanda so long and so honorably, the queen seemed a little harsh to me. What did? What was your opinion? Uh, first of all, the queen didn't even want Shuri to go, but she mm-hmm. was talked into it by Okoye. And then for Koye to come back and say, I lost her, I thought the queen's reaction was very uh, reasonable. Okay, did you have an opinion? I felt the same way. You know, uh, it, it was on her watch. Okoye is supposed to be the protector for Shuri, and the fact that she didn't come back... I get it. And hoping that once Shuri was returned and the Queen Mother got the story from both sides, she would say, you know what? Maybe I did overreact a little bit. And, and that's what I was o- thinking Okoye too. Mm-hmm. was is the best general we've ever had. So if naturally, of course, you can have your job back. My bad. You know, shit happens. Did it bother you at all that it was left unresolved? No. No. Okay. I, I do wonder if... You know, in a future movie, that this is a storyline that's going to come back, that it was never resolved. She's got the blue suit. That's what that whole setup was for. No, the, the, the blue suits are not to make her a new superhero. In the comic book, it's supposed to, and we'll kind of get it, the Midnight Angels are to represent an elite guard of uh, the Dora Milaje, uh, like a special, almost like their Air Force is what it's supposed to represent. And there's a special purpose for them in that they were created to battle Dr. Doom when he goes to steal their vibranium. So the queen is upset and she goes and finds Nakia. And I was beginning to wonder where uh, Nakia was. She, she wasn't at the funeral and she wasn't in most of this movie. And then, you know, the queen goes to find her and it makes sense because she's the shit too. And it turns out that uh, Nakia knows or does find them. Eventually. Well, one of the, and you bring it up at first when I noticed she wasn't at the funeral and she had been, I thought maybe they had written her out of the story that she was not in this movie. And that was going to be a big plot hole, a big contending point for me. But I do like how they kind of fixed it with her reasons why she didn't show up for anything. Uh, and which way I think we learned a little bit later in the movie when she talks to Shuri. Yeah. Well, I knew she was in the movie cause she's in the credits. Yeah. So the actress. Well, I had avoided all of that. I was trying to avoid everything. So I didn't even read the characters that were coming back. I didn't. I tried not to watch a lot of the trailers. So I didn't know for sure who was coming back and who not. I don't believe that for two seconds. So yeah, Nakia finds Shuri and Williams and she helps them escape. 
She kills uh, two guards in the process. Yep. I thought it, it was pretty fantastical how she ended up finding them because what what a task that you are given. Someplace in the world is Shuri, and the queen says, go find her. Yeah. Holy buckets. And she does. Incredible. Yeah. Well, Nakia's badass. Well, she's supposed to be their super spy uh, for their kingdom that uh, can get information from anybody and has resources all over the world. She's almost like the leader of the war dogs. And then um, because... Shuri and Williams escape. Namor comes in and attacks Wakanda. What'd you guys think of this whole bringing down the walls of Wakanda? I was surprised how quickly Wakanda fell. Yeah, so was I a little bit. I, I was thinking, you know, so such an advanced civilization. I was imagining that they were going to be a lot more robust. But, you know, having the simple force of water, water can do tremendous amount of of damage it is it is amazing it is jaw-dropping the inevitable force that water can have so i was surprised that it ended up you know making wakanda fall as quickly as it did yeah the other thing that i thought was uh, interesting during this whole big fight scene was i was almost for sure that uh, mbaku was killed when he came up behind namor and hit him with his big billy club looking thing and it shatters and Namor turns around and punches him right in the chest. And he, of course, does a thing that we've talked about a few times of someone goes flying and, you know, gets up and isn't hurt. I thought that punch was going to kill him. I kind of thought so, too. So did I. I thought I, I thought at some point M'Baku was going to die. I didn't think he was going to make it out of the movie alive. Right. Um, but I did like his reintroduction to us. Uh, you notice he's walking in eating a carrot. carrot. I, I got that instantly, which is the callback to, you know, uh, he told uh, Martin Freeman he was going to eat his babies or mm-hmm. have but, his kids eat him. But we're, we're really vegetarians. Yeah, so he comes in eating a carrot. I thought it was okay. brilliant. Um, Winston Duke, fantastic. An interesting point on Winston Duke. He really campaigned to have M'Baku be the villain of the movie. Well, it would make sense. And had Chadwick lived, who knows? So... Wakanda is under attack, and they did. I didn't see it coming, but uh, they kill the queen. You guys think that they kill her? You know, while she's in the process of saving Riri Williams. Yeah, I was surprised. I didn't think that she was going to die with all of their advanced technology, and she must have been drowned for just a couple minutes. Yeah, they should have been able to bring her back. Well, that and. The balls on Namor, who, again, is a dick, who, as you put it, was trying to just moments ago woo Shuri. Killing his her mother is not, like, the way to do it. Well, well uh, Shuri already defied him. She left yeah. with Riri. So that part of their relationship's off the well, table now. He was also pissed. You know, it was kind of an eye for an eye, the fact that the two guards got killed. And so he was coming to make Wakanda pay for those two guards getting killed. Yeah. Yeah. I lose two guards, you lose your queen. Yeah, yeah that sounds fair. Yeah, haven't you ever played chess? That's an even trade. Yeah. Um, so the Wakandans decide to pick up and go to Jabari. Because there's no water nearby. Right. Which makes sense. You know, you want to stay away from the fish people? Move away from the water. During a lot of these scenes, uh, M'Baku's character, we get to see kind of a new side of him, almost like he's... His temper has changed, that he's become more of a philosopher and more of a voice of reason. I wasn't sure if I liked that change in him. I liked him being that that just 
warrior guy, almost like a Conan type character of just, you know, fight first, ask questions later. What did you think of the change in his character? I thought it was fine. I thought it was a natural progression of the character. That's what Marvel does. Mm-hmm. I thought his magnanimous behavior opening up their walls or, or their, not their walls, but their borders to Wakanda was a, a, a very chivalrous, chivalrous thing to do that I think would have made uh, T'Challa proud. Yeah. Well, the other thing I, th- I thought was kind of an interesting, and I did actually appreciate it, was that there are several instances, including I think kind of now, you know, when they do the whole funeral for the queen and all that, where M'Baku talks to Shuri like T'Challa would talk to Shuri. He almost like has taken her on as a little sister, whereas in the first movie, he talked shit about her during that big fight scene in the beginning, you know, that she, you know, does, does all this technology and just doesn't, you know, have anything to do with our traditions. Uh, and in this point, he's he's being very reasonable and brotherly to her. Yeah. It shows the bond between him and T'Challa over the years that Mm -hmm. we didn't get to see, that we didn't need to see, that we know that is there. And he is very much like a big brother to her. Yeah. For sure. Uh, He says to her, I told your brother that I would give you counsel and that I would protect you. Meanwhile, Ross is arrested by his ex-wife and CIA director, Valentina Allegra de Fonte, for secretly exchanging classified intelligence with the Wakandans. Using a remnant of the herb that gave Namor's people their superhuman abilities, Shuri reconstructs the heart-shaped herb and ingests it, gaining superhuman abilities and meeting Killmonger in the ancestral plane, who urges her to seek revenge. Shuri dons a new Black Panther suit and is accepted by the other Wakandan tribes as the Black Panther. Despite M'Baku's urges for peace, Shuri is determined to exact vengeance on Namor for Ramonda's death and orders an immediate counterstrike on Telecon. Preparing for battle, with Oye assuming the position of General of the Dore Milaje, Shuri bestows the Midnight Angel armor upon Okoye, who in return recruits Dora member Akina to join her. Williams creates an Iron Man-esque powered exoskeleton to aid the Wakandans. So then we have Ross at the accident scene where he happens to find uh, the bracelet in the debris. And that was all fine and good that he found that. And then I began to understand why you have Valentina wanting that eight-hour car ride with him to see, was he going to spill the beans about finding the bracelet or not? It was all a setup. Yeah. And the fact that they found out how to hack it and they were able to record everything off of it. Bullshit. I don't know if they hacked it or they just kind of planted a listening device upon it so they could hear his side of the conversation. Yeah. Either way that Valentina had eyes on Ross the whole time. Yeah. And and this kind of shows us, you know, what to expect next from her as well, that she has this level of power and the fact that she would even send her own ex-husband to jail. Yeah, I mean, she's the director of the CIA, so she doesn't give a fuck. And you know, she's kind of squirmy because in the past instances where we've seen her, she's, you know, kind of come, kind of comes across shady a little bit. Well, so, she called for the death of Hawkeye. Yeah. And in the meantime, Shuri is hell-bent on revenge, and she puts technology to use, and she figures out that the bracelet that Namor gave her, which was his mother's, has remnants of the blue, uh, of the heart-shaped herb. Well, f- 
Let's bring up this bracelet for a sec. Did it weird you out a little bit? I understand he was trying to woo her and get her on his side and everything. But the one thing he had left from his mother was that bracelet. And he just gives it up to Shuri. Did that seem a little odd to you? Nah, I didn't care. I I thought it was a little peculiar. It would be a little bit like uh, if two people are dating and then he has his grandmother's wedding ring. Oh, here, have this. Yeah, just have it. It happens, guys. I don't know what to tell you. I thought it was a fucking tracking device or something, but then I thought, why, he's already been to Wakanda. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, it turns out, really, it was just a plot point to give us the heart shape. Which is, yeah, and it's exactly how it turned out. So she was able to successfully replicate the heart-shaped herb that Killmonger burned in the first one. Um, Now, the interesting thing, she decides, you know, she's been fighting this whole idea. She's been focused on technology. She's been fighting this whole mysticism and all that and traditions. Now she's giving in tradition to try to get it, you know, get her revenge in that she's going to ingest the herb and basically become the new Black Panther. What did you think of her visiting the ancestral plane? Did you see that coming or did you think she was going to get visited by someone else? That was a great surprise for me. And um, I got to tell you, leading up to it, leading up to this film, I kept telling you and whoever would listen, oh, it's going to be fucking Shuri. Oh, it's going to be fucking Shuri. But when they got to the moment and they they made the herb and they were going to do it, I thought they could realistically give it to Nakia. Or a Koye, or you know, they sure didn't necessarily have to take it. I'm glad she did. I'm glad it worked out that way. Um, but when she saw Killmonger, I went, "Oh, that's an interesting twist." And and the reason behind it, I kind of felt like because I kept thinking, you know, when they did interviews with um, Chadwick Boseman's brother and family members, they all said that they were totally okay with them putting him into the movie CGI, that that's what he would want, or even recasting the character, I thought maybe we were going to get the voice of Chadwick or we were going to get some kind of inference of him, that we were going to see him. But the fact that at this point in the movie, she is so hell-bent on revenge and doing damage to Namor, Killmonger made perfect sense for that's the one to visit her. Having her take the uh, heart-shaped herb totally made sense to me because I knew that she eventually goes on to become the Black Panther in the comic books. And she rules over Wakanda during times when uh, T'Challa is out of country doing diplomatic things. And so I thought it was natural that she was going to be the one to ingest it. But at the time, I also thought as well that, you know, it could just as easily be a Koye or, or one of the other girls. They could definitely, I could see them stepping in and taking it as well. But the fact that she ended up taking it, yeah, I thought that was the right choice. And what a what what a fantastic reveal. It was it was jaw dropping. Yeah, it was good. The other thing I really appreciated about this and something that we talked about on the last podcast was whether or not Marvel would consider bringing back Killmonger. And now we have our answer. He's dead. He's not coming back. So that should make you happy, Don, cuz you even said I think on the last podcast if they brought him back, you were done with Marvel. It's an interesting reveal as well. So what does that say about um, the psychosis of having the people that you meet on your ancestral plane walk? Is it who is the inner part of you that helps you reflect on yourself? Or are they meant to be a spirit guide to you and they are not necessarily a part of you? I got the impression from their conversation that when you go into this 
ancestral plane into the spirit world, you see who deep down in your subconscious, who you want to talk to, who you need to talk to. And that's why Killmonger even says to her, you're the one that called me here. You know, you're the one, you know, you didn't choose your brother, your father, your mother. You didn't choose them to talk to you. You chose me, princess. Yeah, very, very thought compelling. Now, when she comes out of it and she builds her new Black Panther suit, did you catch the references in the suit? Well, the glints of gold. That they were both gold and silver in that suit. So she was basically taking, you know, parts of her brother and parts of Killmonger to do this new suit as a part of her. Well, she made both those suits anyway. Mm -hmm. So she's made all the suits. Yeah. So it makes sense that she puts the best parts for her. So uh, she drinks the herb. She sees Killmonger. She comes back. She's kind of pissed that her mother didn't come to see her. She didn't says that. Um, but she is now the Black Panther, and the rest of the tribes acknowledge it. And she wants to go to war. And Umbaku's like, are you sure, princess? Because, I mean, this isn't going to end well. Yeah, once you kill Namor, you put us in, into an internal war. Right. And you know what? I love you, I will fight for you, and I will die for you, but I'm just saying, probably not the best idea. But she doesn't listen, and now we know that there's a war coming. And this is where this really, I feel like, starts to move us away from Marvel, because this is a, a heady choice to make, and it is serious consequences, not just for our protagonist, but for civilizations in this story arc and it is no there are no clear right or wrong choices if they decide to side if they decide to fight against regardless you still have the outside world wanting to take the vibranium and they're going to learn about namor there's no good choices and there's only hard choices right Right. It, it's interesting that you brought up that it kind of seems like they were going away from Marvel. There was one scene during this that I felt they were actually revisiting an old Marvel kind of storyline in when Riri is building her Iron Man basically like suit, her Ironheart suit. Did you catch that she was wearing a white tank top that matched what Tony Stark was wearing when he built his first suit in the cave? No. no. Yeah. That whole scene was supposed to represent uh, Tony Stark in the cave. Well, it makes sense because she's banging on the iron and mm -hmm. then the heart falls out, which is reminiscent to Tony Stark banging on the helmet in the cave. Mm -hmm. So I guess I just wasn't paying attention to what yeah. she was wearing. The Wakandans lure Namor and his warriors to the surface as a battle ensues. Shuri traps Namor in the fighter craft, intending to dry him out and weaken him. The pair crashes on a desert beach and fight. Shuri gains the upper hand but realizes the similarities between their paths and implores Namor to yield, offering him a peaceful alliance. Namor accepts and the battle ends. Namor's cousin, Namora, is upset at Namor's surrender, but Namor reassures her that their new alliance will allow them to conquer the surface world one day. William returns to MIT, leaving her suit behind, while Okoye rescues Ross from captivity. In Shuri's absence, M'Baku steps forward to challenge for the throne. Shuri visits Nakia in Haiti, where she burns her funeral ceremonial robe in accordance with Ramonda's wishes, allowing herself finally to grieve Chachala. In a mid credit scene, Shuri learns that Nokia and Chachala had a son named Trusaint, 
Unokia has been raising in secret far from the pressure of the throne. Trusaint reveals his Wakandan name is T'Challa. Roll credits. All right, so this is where we get our third act. What'd you guys think? Well, first of all, I don't know why it bothered me at all, but I understand that they have advanced technology and they have these flying ships, the Wakandans and all that, but they also have a big battleship that just comes up out of the ground that they have already and set. Did it seem weird to me? Not as weird as having a hovercraft that can fly. I don't know. I just felt like it was convenient to have this huge battleship. Of course it was convenient. I didn't think it was odd, though. Do you think it was odd? No. Yeah. I thought, I, you know, they have a Navy. They have a Royal Navy. They are the Wakandans. They have to have a Navy, and I would think they're on the coast. Uh, I got to be honest, this last half hour of the film kind of dragged for me, and it shouldn't have because it was the last action piece. Uh, I thought the fighting was good. I thought the CGI was awesome. I wasn't dazzled by it by any stretch of the imagination. I do want to say that I felt like the fight scenes in this were better than the Black Panther Killmonger final fight. Cause that one, like I said, felt very Spider-Man like it felt very CGI, uh, almost like we were watching a, a video game. This one felt like more realistic action, hand to hand combat. Yeah, maybe this one was also outside. It was better lit. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like how, uh, sure. was smart though. And cut off or try to cut off one of his wings on his ankles. Mm-hmm. That's the first place I would have gone to. Get well, she got point. one of them. Yeah, because he couldn't fly, or he couldn't fly very well. Yeah. You know, and then she dries him out, which I got to be honest, when I heard that as the solution on how to beat him, I started to laugh a little bit. You just take the fish out of the water? Is that what you just said? Yeah. So, ha ha. But it turns out he is a mutant. And so, you know, mutants in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, speaking of that, that's the first time that, that word has been said in a Marvel movie. They have inferred it. In other characters, uh, especially in the uh, Miss Marvel TV series, they refer that she has kind of a... Well, they say mutant do, in Miss Marvel. Do they actually say it? But this is, I'm saying this is the first movie. I know. I, I know. I'm trying to prove you wrong, but I think you might be right. Yeah. So this is our introduction because in the comic books, often Namor is called the first mutant in the Marvel Universe. Now, this is kind of where... I think my biggest issue with this movie and something that we were talking about earlier about healing and whether or not the uh, herb gives you, you know, healing power. You mentioned earlier that, you know, being the Black Panther wasn't enough to save T'Challa, that he still died. He didn't heal from that. Yet, uh, in their big battle, Namor runs Shuri through. I mean, she basically puts a spear right through her stomach or wherever it is Enough that she actually, instead of pulling it out, she walks through the spear and has the spear pass completely through her. Yet she continue on and fights and wins the battle and then seems fine afterwards. That seemed a little bit odd and kind of a plot hole to me. Does she now have super healing powers? Well, that's what the plant is supposed to give you. And I still don't know why it didn't cure T'Challa. So that's, yeah, that's a weird plot point that they kind of messed with. Yeah. I felt the same way watching her have that spear go through her. As soon as she took that spear out, yeah, I get the suit repairs itself, but there's no way her insides, that's a fucking hole right, right through your body. Right. And yet she's okay. Because she heals from the blue herb. 
Which again? Purple. Oh, what did I say? Blue. Ah, blue, purple, potato, potato. What's the difference? So the fight scene, I really dug watching the, the Dory Milaje jump over the side and run down. I thought that was badass. Well, it was the Jabari would hold them. Yes. They were working together. Badass. They're great, they're great shots, right? As they're flying through the air, slow motion. and Yeah, it was very beautifully shot, I thought. Um, this is a pretty visual movie. I, and when, it, when I say pretty visual movie, I, I mean aesthetically pleasing. That there are some, some very beautiful uh, pictures Oh, absolutely. Throughout this movie. Yeah, for sure. Once the vessel is damaged and it starts to go in the water, I'm thinking, oh, they're fucked. Yep, going in the water. Once they get in the water, that's it. Game over, man. Yeah, yeah. But, well, it, did, but it doesn't sink all the way, does it? It no. just kind of tips, I think, and it, knocks it, it a bunch of them in the water. Yeah. But I kept thinking, you know, with this whole thing, even though Shuri uh, got Namor to concede, the Talacan were going to win. Oh, oh, I have no doubt because there they were just, surrounding. There was just a small group left on the top. Yeah, they were all fucked. Mm-hmm. The Telecon definitely were going to win, but the movie ended or the conflict resolved exactly how I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is funny because you always bring it up. You've seen it before. Isn't this how Aquaman kind of ended when Dolph Lundgren basically said, stop fighting. We're going to work with the people. Yes, that's exactly how Aquaman ended. And what I got was uh, not Aquaman, but Civil War. And at the end of Civil War, Black Panther is going to kill Zemo, or he gets Zemo, and he says, uh, uh, I'm done with hate. Hate only consumes me. I know it's consuming you, but I'm not going to let it consume me anymore. Yeah, I actually and, wrote down the line. It's vengeance has consumed you. It's consuming me. I'm done letting it consume me. So and, you're absolutely right. And what does Shuri say? She basically says, I'm done letting... uh, She says the exact same fucking line? Her line that she says is uh, that we shouldn't let vengeance consume Ah, us. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but it was the same thing. Yeah. Right? So a lot of this movie was a retread of a lot of things that I've seen already. So, well, the difference is Ryan Coogler still can make it fresh and... Uh, the cast and the soundtrack still solid. Well, he wanted solid his first one, but it's solid. Apparently what he was trying to say is now we are supposed to have faith that Shuri is following the same path of as her brother. The fact that she used his same line. I appreciate that, but I never once thought that she wouldn't, you know what I mean? Same. Yeah. So at some point you got to give your audience credit. I do appreciate and. Maybe I should have seen it coming, but I didn't see it coming. I knew somehow mom would pop up or brother would pop up, but I liked how they worked in her saying, show them who you are, which is, you know, obviously the line from the first movie to T'Challa that the queen says, says that to uh, Shuri. And that's what basically makes her realize this isn't the right way. I need to show mercy. Yeah, and, and, and Killmonger wasn't going to be the only one she saw in the spirit world. I knew mm-hmm. that for a fact. I knew at some point mom was going to show up. And after she gets stuck by the spear, that's when mom shows up, right? Because she mm-hmm. kind of dies. Yeah, and she says, show who you are. And then she wins the fight. So Now, from here, once everything, the dust kind of settles and everything, we find out from M'Baku that, you know, Shuri has gone for a walkabout that she has gone off to do her own thing, and that, as he puts it, he's going to challenge for the throne. Fucking smart. So my question is, 
uh, obviously he must have worked out a deal with Shuri. So either he's going to become king and that's just the way it's going to be. He's either going to hold the kingdom for her until she's ready to come back. But part of me thinks that maybe this opens up the door to now she can go on, become an Avenger. She can go on and show up in all these other movies and not have to focus on Wakanda. Where was your question in that? My question is, where do you think that the story is going from here with M'Baku? I think that M'Baku is now the king of Wakanda. Yeah, but and do you th- I think that's brilliant. Do you think that was a plan? Or oh, yeah, do you yeah. think he just seized his opportunity? No, I think I think it was fully, fully planned out. Just by the interactions between M'Baku and Shuri, I can I feel like that's something that they totally would have worked out. Mm-hmm. That they are in lockstep with each other. Totally. That's, can, that's how I felt as yeah, well. Yeah. We get Ross broken out. Yeah, which is a nice little touch. A colonizer in chains. I thought that was a cute line. Is it me or you saw Hellboy, right? The first, yeah. the original. First of the, yeah. Abe Sapien, you remember? Mm-hmm. Doesn't that who Okoye looks like in her blue suit? That's yes. What, that's what I kind of, yeah. that's kind of what I got when I saw I was wondering it. where you're going with that, but yeah, I can yeah. see that. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish it was a different suit now. <laughs> I am wondering with them breaking uh, Everett Ross out, where does his future go? Where does he go from there? That's Who what knows? I'm wondering. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, that's a, totally what I'm wondering. I mean, because we really didn't get a whole lot from him in this movie. He wasn't in any of the action scenes. No. And like we had said earlier, he was like Coulson, right? He's this phases Coulson. Maybe he's going to go on the run and go be with the Wakandans. Because he's a fugitive. Yeah. He has such... His loyalty to them is unwavering and it's awesome because of the bond that he did make with T'Challa and Shuri in his time in Wakanda. So, I mean, for them to go rescue him, of course they're taking him to Wakanda because there's no extradition clause. So I hope he, I hope he's in further adventures in this Marvel thing. And maybe he'll be uh, an integral part of bringing down the Thunderbolts because Valentina is running them. Hopefully they'll bring back Ross, uh, you know, Martin Freeman, Martin Freeman's character. He, uh, he's always fun to see in movies. And, you know, if, if they don't bring him back, then maybe he'll just go on another uh, journey. <laughs> Did you say journey? And now it's time for John's... Moment. This is the point in our podcast where I take whatever movie we are reviewing and compare it to the greatest movie series ever made, Lord of the Rings. So for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, this was a little tougher than just when we did the original Black Panther to kind of work out all the characters. This go around for Frodo, I'm going to say that that's Shuri. She is the one on a journey of self-discovery as she deals with her grief, her anger, and becoming a leader. For Sam... That's Nakia. She drops everything to find and help Shuri. She risks her life to protect her, and in the end, she proves to be a true friend and ally to Shuri. M'Baku in this movie has taken over more of an Aragorn-type role. He's still a fierce warrior, but he's grown into a wise leader who uses his wisdom to advise and protect Shuri on her journey. It's his advice that helps Shuri stay on her path, and in the end, He's the one who steps up and takes the throne. Okoye is Legolas. She's a warrior with impeccable skills and aim. And like the elf, she's calm, focused, especially during extreme battles. The closest comparison I have for Riri is Gimli. Like Gimli, 
She's reluctantly pulled into the journey, but steps up when needed. Even though she's unsure about everyone earlier on, she serves as a loyal companion and a fierce warrior in her Ironheart suit. And if you pair Ironheart with Okoye's Midnight Angel, well, you get Legolas and Gimli together again. Everett Ross in this movie serves more of a source of information rather than a direct active role. I would associate his role more with Elrond from Lord of the Rings. He's seen a share of battles in the past, but this go around, he's happy to stay on the sidelines while sharing some of the risk with the information that he shares. Romanda in this movie is Theoden. Just like in Lord of the Rings, Theoden is dealing with the loss of his son. She too is, is as well. Gollum in this movie would be the person in the movie who lurks in the shadows and has their own agenda. Like Gollum in Lord of the Rings, at first, they almost seem helpful, just as Valentina is with Everett. But by the end, she reveals her true nature as a villain. Therefore, Valentina Allegra de Fonte is Gollum. Sauron in this movie is Namor. In Lord of the Rings, Sauron believes his rule is what's best for those underneath him, and he's willing to destroy anyone to achieve his goals. If you watch the Ring of Power series, you'll see that Sauron sees himself as kind of having a noble purpose in his actions, and that's the same way that Namor feels about his actions. Namor's people would be the orcs, Namora would be his Urukai, and Atuma for those who know his actions in the comic books, would be the closest comparison to Saruman the White. While he serves as master, he does have his own agenda, and he is a villain who actually turns on Atlantis or the Tolokan in the comic books. What is the precious? What is the one ring? In Wakanda Forever, at its base level, it's power, and it's the responsibility that comes with it. In Wakanda Forever, we get to see leaders from two kingdoms dealing with the responsibility of leadership and power. For Shuri, it's about protecting her people, but not at the expense of others. For Namor, it's about also protecting his people, but he's willing to kill anyone who he considers a threat, which includes all of the surface world. Both can do a lot of damage depending on how they abuse their power that's available to them. Namor chooses war. Shuri chooses defense, and at the end, it's Shuri who doesn't give in to the temptation or the corruption that comes with power, and that makes her a better leader. So there you have it. That's my comparison of Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and Lord of the Rings. Bring on the greats. What do you got? Well, I think that you have your characters lined up fairly well with Frodo, Sam, Legolas, Aragorn, Theoden, and I, I guess I didn't necessarily look at this as a Lord of the Rings style movie. And I guess you could say that, but I just don't think it's that Lord of the Ringsy necessarily. So other than having character similarities, I, I, I don't think that it ties itself as strongly as it could if it were actually comparable to Lord of the Rings. So just based on the character merit, I'm going to give you a solid B. B from the Professor. Yeah, your your characters align pretty well. I think that the Okoye and Legolas uh, comparison uh, is probably the strongest um, because she is calm and cool, and she kind of has a dry wit, just like Legolas did. Uh, I'm going to give you a solid C plus. 
Do I get any bonus points because I brought Elrond up for the first time? I think it's the first time I've done a comparison with him. No. Okay. If you have to ask for bonus points, then you didn't deserve them. Yeah, well, I always ask for extra credit after the fact. (laughs) (laughs) And that was John's. Moment. All right. What do you guys think? You guys ready to rate this bitch? I guess we could rate this bitch. I did want to talk one last little bit about the very ending with uh, Shuri in front of the fire. I thought that was some wonderfully intimate camera work that uh, we have as she finally does her grieving and she finally puts her ceremonial robe onto the fire. And it was, I think, a powerful scene as well, just like the opening was. Yeah, it was it was a bookend. Exactly. Know. Yeah. I do guys well, I want to ask you guys a question again before we get into our ratings. Um the ending of this movie, especially after this mid-credit reveal uh that T'Challa had a son, leads to three possibilities for a future movie. And one of them I already brought up, which is Mbaku becoming the Black Panther or becoming, you know, he's the king now. The other one is Shuri continuing on as the Black Panther. The third option was, and I and I thought this was interesting, I read this in an interview, was the idea of, I don't know if they'll do a, a time skip or if they'll wait a little while, but this T'Challa in 15 years could easily become the next Black Panther. And then we get back on track with the comic books of T'Challa being the Black Panther. Is that something you'd like to see? Sure. I'm indifferent. I, I think it's too far down the MCU story arc. Well, let me ask you to put it to this way. Would you rather see Shuri continue as the Black Panther, or would you rather see them make T'Challa the future Black Panther? Either or. Either or? Okay. Yeah, I don't have strong feelings either way. Yeah. What do you guys think? You guys are ready to rate this bitch? I think we should rate this bitch. We've been talking long enough. We don't want to talk too long. Well, I did want to bring... I'm just kidding. Let's rate this bitch. Professor, how do we do our ratings? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that is cinematic gold. It is something you're ready to watch whenever somebody says you want to watch that. A one fuck movie is a movie where it's one and done. You've watched it and you have no desire to see it again. Nothing stands out that it's like, "Eh, I'm going to watch it. No. And what's a zero? A zero fuck movie is where you're forced to drink the heart-shaped herb and engage in a to-the-death battle with Eric Killmonger. Or in other words, we just don't give a fuck. All right, who wants to go first? I can go first. All right, hit me. All right, so in uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, the movie was a a good movie, and it was far and away the most somber of of a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. It also was long. It, it, It really felt long. And I don't know if I have the richness of wanting to watch this over and over again just because it's not of the typical Marvel ilk where you have uh, good action sequences and a little bit of humor and uh, not necessarily just a deep, deep story, right? The, the storylines tend to be a little bit on the lighter side and they're more focused on just our protagonist. But this story arc is way beyond just our protagonist. It is about civilizations. Two, two civilizations, are they going to go to war or not? And the Black Panther, Shuri, being the leader of Wakanda, has 
a heavy decision to make. And it, it weighed on me as well during, you know, during watching the movie, how is this going to play out? And I just found myself thinking, I thought this was going to be more fun. And as I mentioned earlier, it is a, a, a visually, you know, aesthetically pleasing movie that it is vibrant in its colors. And I really did enjoy that a lot. The music didn't necessarily uh, hit me between the eyes the way I got in Black Panther, where it's just like, you know, it felt fun. This movie doesn't necessarily feel fun. And Shuri, you know, she in Black Panther, she was a fun character and she was occasionally badass. And, you know, she's she was always jovial, you know, to be the counter, you know, the counterpoint to T'Challa. And we don't get any of that. We, we have a grown up Shuri now and and then we get to watch mom die. So in general, it's a good movie, but it's not necessarily a great movie for me. And the uh, future of Namor, you know, shoehorning in an origin story into this movie. <sighs> okay, I get it. But it, it it didn't necessarily carry its, itself with me all the way. In, in general, I think that this movie is a good movie. It didn't knock my socks off. And I'm giving it four fucks. Four fucks from the professor. You want to go or you want me to go? I can go if you'd like. All right, buddy. Wakanda Forever, this sequel had a lot to live up to. The first movie was amazing, and a lot of us were wanting to see how they were going to deal with the death of Chadwick Boseman in the second movie. Letitia Wright also had a lot of pressure on her to step up and lead this ensemble cast. It fell on her shoulders to make or break this movie. More than most other movies, she had to show a strong and fast evolution of her character from brilliant but slightly bratty little sister to the leader of her people and a hero we can all get behind. It's my opinion that Wakanda Forever did a great job honoring Chadwick. It gave us that sad vibe that was present throughout the whole movie, but it wasn't overpowering. So I thought Ryan Coogler did a great job in dealing with this whole situation. Letitia succeeded in displaying a believable evolution of her character, and her emotions felt genuine, not overacted. But I struggled to get behind her in this updated role that she was put in. Part of me feels like that maybe that's what the director wanted for us to question whether or not we can support her. He wanted us to feel that she's too young and damaged to be the new leader of Wakanda, which maybe that's what led to the ending that we got, that she needs more time to grow. And if that's what he was going for, he succeeded in this. As for the other casting, all of the originals were amazing, and I enjoyed to see them again. Tanosh, as Namor, I have to say I wasn't a huge fan. While I thought he did a good job with the role he was given and the lines he was expected to say, Namor just wasn't a believable character, and he was nowhere near uh, comparable to Killmonger from the first movie. It'll be interesting to see if they decide to build on Namor's story, but if they don't, honestly, I won't miss him. Overall, it was an okay sequel. The first Black Panther made me excited to see the second one. I can't say the same about Wakanda Forever, making me excited for a third installment. I'm not saying that I didn't enjoy the movie. 
and I do look forward to seeing it again. I'm just saying that I doubt that I would put this movie in the top 10 of my Marvel movies. I'm also saying that I don't even know if I will see it in the theaters or just wait till it eventually becomes, goes to streaming. It's for those reasons I'm giving Black Panther Wakanda forever four fucks. Four fucks from the comic book guy. Uh, I guess I'll go since I'm the only one left. You go next. Thank you. I thought Wakanda Forever was beautifully shot. I thought the cast did a great job. I think that the story was, you know, what it needed to be at that moment in the time that we're living in. You know, they had written a script and the unfortunate passing of Chadwick Boseman forced them to rewrite the script. You know, Coogler takes off for a while, doesn't want to do it, comes back and decides to do it. And when he comes back, he makes a a beautiful tribute movie to Chadwick Boseman and also makes a mediocre Marvel movie in the same process. Coming in at two hours and 47 minutes, I think that this movie is 20 to 25 minutes too long. I think there's bits in here that we don't need. I think that this movie comes across as half memorial, half comic book movie. And in the memorial bits, it's beautifully done and it's handled very well with a lot of respect. Um, I think that Marvel falls back into their problems with their villains uh, Namor is forgettable and his reasons for wanting to take over the, uh, surface world, uh, you called it out and I didn't even put it together. But now that you said it, John, I can't stop thinking about it. It's the same fucking plot from Aquaman. So thanks for that, buddy. Did Wakanda forever do it better than Aquaman? Yes, but it's not to say that it's not the same plot. Uh, is Wakanda Forever a good Marvel movie? It's passable. And that's okay. Uh, they're not going to hit... Marvel's sequels aren't going to hit home runs all the time. Iron Man 2, people think, eh. Thor 2, people think, eh. Multiverse of Madness, Far From Home, and Age of Ultron. Are any of those in your top 10 of Marvel movies? I'm guessing not. So... Marvel kind of has a track record with uh, sequels to our independent characters. Uh, we'll see. Sometimes they nail it. Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2, The Winter Soldier. You know, so are those in your top 10? Yeah, maybe. So it's, it's kind of hit or miss with these guys. But again, they can do no wrong in my book. And though I enjoyed Wakanda Forever, I doubt I would go back to the theater and see it i'm with you john i i'll probably catch it again on streaming and i really do hope at some point i like it better than i kind of do now and so for those reasons i'm giving wakanda forever 3.5 fucks okay all right with 3.5 fucks from myself four fucks from the professor and four fucks from the comic book guy Black Panther Wakanda Forever has an average of 3.8 fucks, which makes it slightly better than Hell or High Water, The Blues Brothers, and Booksmart. And it ties it with Rambo, First Blood Part 2, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and True Lies. And it's slightly worse than 
The Suicide Squad. If you want to find out which movie we are going to be reviewing next, please check out our website and any social media platforms that we are on. And speaking of which, hey, John, where can they find us? Well, as always, they can find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com, where after, you know, with each posting, I post our show notes, movie trivia, and really anything else that I feel like, including a teaser for our next movie that we will be reviewing. You can also find us at all of the social media, which is if you check us out, please give us a like, give us a comment. Um, Also go on to any place that hosts podcasts. We'd love to get some high scores from you. All right. So there you have it. I just want to thank Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for listening. Keep on listening. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Jill. And I want to thank anyone else who dares to listen to us and welcome any new listeners. If this is your first time listening to our podcast and you like what you hear, go back and check out our library. We are coming up to almost 100 episodes. Yeah. We also, on our webpage, have a form where you can submit a movie that you'd like us to review. We are about to get back to the helmet and start picking out some movies again, and we'd love to fill it up with your choices. They don't know what the helmet is. <laughs> That's all. New if, listeners. If they are a loyal fan, they right. know. If they are a new listener, they'll learn. <laughs> I get what you're saying. I get what you're both saying. All you guys are doing is wasting tape. So thanks for that. It's more that Don's going to have to dig through. Are you happy with yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, then. Don't be, because I'm cutting all that shit. All that shit. All right. So for three guys in a flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Thanks for listening. Wakanda forever! Cuckoo Khan. Cuckoo Khan. Cuckoo. Cuckoo Khan. Kuka. His people do not call him general. All right, what do you guys think? Which one? None of those. Well, the the first, the one that I said. Find me one then, motherfucker. Kolukukan? Yes, I want that for the stingers this week. Waiting, princess. I know, I know, I know, sweetheart. I know, I'm moving, I'm moving. Hit the record button. Oh, for fuck's sake. Oh, you already did. Was when the queen fires okay, okay, yeah. Okoye. When the queen fires okay. No, because I, I think it's important because it is about the Doctor Doom thing. And I was like, no, she's a fucking superhero. You want me so. to say it again? <clears throat> no, no, no. No, dude, no. I feel like this is really high. Mm, that's not all. <laughs> Wait, what? We were out here a half hour before just hanging out in the car, if you know what I mean. Oh, you were? No. Oh. We don't smoke. God damn it. Why did you get my hopes up? I was going to be both highly impressed and highly annoyed at the same time. <laughs> no, maybe not impressed. How about shocked? That's a better word. Instead of uh, Wakanda Forever, you could also have said, Pelican Rise. Or Imperious Rex. Who says Pelican Rise? Pelican Rise. That's their war cry. Uh, Namor's when they're going to war, they say Pelican Rise. Oh, Pelican. I thought he said Pelican. I heard Pelican. And Namor in the comic book, and he says it once in the movie, his battle cry is Imperious Rex. Yeah, I know. You said so that. I'm saying he could have said either of those. Yeah, I liked Pelican Rise. Pelican Rise? Yeah, that's your favorite? Because that reminded me. And I'm of... Ken. Pelican Rise. Yeah. <laughs> fly, Pelican, fly. All right, fuck off. Good night.